0: Oh, hi. Hi,
1: we're recording. Look at that.
0: <laughs> hi. <laughs> uh, talking about buttholes right at the top. Yeah, it's fine. It's normal, regular thing. It's
1: it's classic us. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so. how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm all right. You know, it's it's a whole it's a whole blend of things just all the time. Yeah. the it's been a lot warmer and sunnier lately, and so I've been bonus. Like walking a whole bunch and just generally pleased with my day, you know. Yeah.
0: How about Sounds you? nice. Uh, it's okay. It's it's fine. I did my first uh my first in office day since last March on Tuesday, uh, which was weird and super necessary for my mental health. So it was very nice. Good. So very 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 nice. Um, yeah got a vaccine appointment
1: yeah you do i do too it's very exciting
0: time exciting my appointment is on the one year anniversary of me calling out from work because of a pandemic
1: so that's a little weird oh my gosh hold on is mine hold on i'm so sorry
0: oh no it's the week before never mind just yeah March 17th of last year is when I called my boss and I was like, hey, um, no, I'm not doing this anymore because yeah. it seems like bad news. So yeah. that seems a little a little on the nose, but I'm pretty, pretty stoked about it.
1: Yeah, I'm really, really excited. It's been a frustrating journey trying to get a vaccine appointment. Yeah. And I'm stoked that I finally managed to land one. Yeah. Although yours is the
0: J and J, so you've only, you're one shot and you're vaccinated.
1: I'm I'm one and done. It's um, great. My I signed up for all of these, you know, email lists of like we'll let you know when we have more vaccine appointments. And so as soon as I got one, I was like, oh thank God, you know, just relief washing yeah. over me. And now I keep getting these emails that are like, hey, there's going to be more appointments. I'm like, no, I don't want it anymore. So that's nice. It feels
0: like there's kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel. Finally, finally, it
1: absolutely does. And I have found myself feeling very like senioritis-y. I like, literally so used that close. exact. I used that exact term the other day with Joanna. Because that's the only other like experience. That's the only other name I have for this feeling, where I'm like, I'm so close. I just want to be done. I yeah. just want to, you know. Yeah. I was fine whenever it was like, you're going to be in your house for a question mark amount of time. But yeah. now that I know that it's ending soon-ish and I can be a little bit more of a person, I'll still wear a mask, obviously. I'll still distance. obviously. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know how long it's going to take for me to feel comfortable going into a public setting without a mask. No, yeah, I'm still even post vaccination. Like, I, Yeah.
1: Mm, I'm still going to wear a mask everywhere, especially because even though you're vaccinated, you can still carry it. And so, you know, I'm still going to do that. But in addition to all of my, you know, um, precautions and whatnot, I'm going to go sit on a patio. I'm so excited to sit on a freaking patio. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm going to cook. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to eat so much food that I did not cook. There you go. Really stoked about it. Yeah, man, it's gonna. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I feel like it'll, I don't know. There's, I feel like coming out of this is there's going to be a lot of like really bizarre experiences that happen that are going to be like, Oh, right. Oh, right. We used to just do that like regularly, like all the time without even thinking about it. Yep. Wasn't
1: even a thing. It's weird. It's weird, weird. We're so close. Just so gotta take it out and be responsible a little bit longer.
0: A few more months and then we'll be pretty pretty set. Pretty set.
1: I'm pretty stoked about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: me too. So me what too. are uh what are you drinking today?
0: I am drinking
1: a uh a coffee. Oh, I I thought there were going to be more descriptors in there, but well, I was trying to come up with
0: something clever, like, like a virgin Bailey's with coffee. But then I realized that like most drinks that you make with coffee are like coffee is in the name. Right. So then it just becomes coffee.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I'm drinking coffee. Nice. (laughs) That's nice. I've got, what are you drinking? uh, I got me some sweet tea. Here's some nice refreshing ice sweet tea. Uh, do you want to tell the people why we we have
0: tea and coffee instead of our normal gin or wine? Well, one reason is because
1: it's the middle of the day, but in no addition, okay, yeah. but it's also
0: Saturday, <laughs> so like it's never stopped us before.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. Um,
0: <laughs> I love that you immediately shut me down. Just yeah. like come on, i I've, I've had brunch with you, like no. Fuck out of here. Which is great.
1: Um, No, in all reality, though, we are recording this episode in partnership with Recover Alaska to celebrate sobriety and what that means and what that feels like and all of its different forms for different people. I actually haven't had a drink the last few days leading up to this just to, like, see what I would feel like. My goal was a week, and then I forgot, and I had a beer. But... <laughs> you know, it happens, but it happens. Um, it's interesting once I've gone, you know, two, three days without a drink, it, I want it less. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes more like, do I really want this or is it just here? Am I just right. like, You know? Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. yeah. So. That's Evan and I joke. Cause like 99% of the time that we open a beer and they're always like PBRs, you know, but right. like. Usually, when we open a beer, we'll have, like, two or three sips of it, and then it'll just, like, sit on our counter until the next morning, and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Man, I forgot to finish this. Mm. But, yeah. yeah, I I uh, haven't been drinking a ton either, mostly because of my head, but I did have a Kolsch the other night, and then I was like, wow, I, I'm a, I'm a one and done now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really I'm interesting. Old. I'm, I was actually talking to my therapist about this recently. Like I really enjoy the fact that I'm drinking a lot less and going periods of time without it at all, just having sober periods. Yeah. And you know, it was therapy. And so it's like, well, is there a reason behind this? And is there a deeper, you know, whatever. And thankfully I don't think I have an addictive personality or with addiction very, very blessedly. Um, But I was just like no I I just you know wanted to do less I wanted to be in more control over it so here we are yeah
0: I think that's great um well I'm I already know who your babe is so I'm pretty sure I, that I am going first
1: yeah I would also just like to say welcome to sober babe town oh my god welcome to sober babe town oh my god. <laughs> Uh, shit um you do know who mine is i know the name of yours but i did not look her up i feel like i feel like most people are gonna know who yours is
0: everybody's Um, who mine is yeah and if you don't then like you should (laughs) really really should
1: really should what year we got
0: 1904
1: Mm, you are going first
0: yeah that's what i figured um okay reagan taylor aside from me saying her name. Have you ever heard of Marty Mann?
1: <laughs> no, I did not look her up. <laughs> Good.
0: Great. Okay. So um, as a disclaimer, there's not a whole ton of information about her, which is kind of wild to me, but we'll like kind of talk about why in okay. a little bit. Um, so Marty Mann was born October 15th, 1904. She was from Chicago. She was born to a super wealthy family she went to private schools. She went to like a boarding school in Europe. She traveled the world, like very well off family. Um, she eventually marries into a wealthy family in her like mid twenties. Um, but according to her quote, my husband was an alcoholic. And since I only had contempt for those without my own amazing capacity, the outcome was inevitable. So they got divorced shortly after because mm-hmm. she also was an alcoholic. Um, it happened like right around the time of her father going bankrupt too. So suddenly, cause we're in like the early thirties, late twenties. So suddenly yeah. Marty's kind of left without like a safety net. So she goes to work on her own. She ends up moving to Europe because she was super. So like, there's not a ton of like detail about her early life, but she was super unhappy because she was an alcoholic and she was, drinking to try and like cover it all up and um if any of her friends like she talks about how like if any of her friends mentioned that she was drinking too much they suddenly weren't her friends anymore like Mm -hmm. she would she would like black out and wake up places hours later and be like i don't know how i got here like just not living a great life
1: i mean especially with the like you know your friend mentions that you're drinking too much so they're not your friend anymore like there's so much shame that goes along with
0: total drinking
1: or doing drugs at all that it's like there's this inherent belief that you should be better quote unquote than this or something and yeah. so it's like i can absolutely understand being like listen i'm doing my best get the yeah. fuck away from me yeah
0: but her point was i don't or at that point in her life her point was i don't need to stop drinking i don't have a problem you right. know, right. it's more of that. So, right. So anyway, she ends up moving to Europe, um, quote for greater freedom and excitement, but mm. it turns out she was just as miserable as she was in the States. Cause mm. she would reach a point. She had reached a point in her alcoholism that like, just wasn't tenable anymore. She would black out and then wake up with such terrible hangovers that she had to start drinking to get rid of the hangovers and right. then would stay drunk all day. And then it would just cycle cycle. So, she ends up moving back to the States with the hopes in her own words of being happier. Like that's the whole reason that she's like moving literally around the world, just trying to be happy. Cause like when she was in Europe, she had her own business. Like she was, uh-huh. she had a friend group, like she was successful by like normal
1: metrics, right. but as we all so, know, that doesn't mean happiness. Right.
0: So um she ends up moving back to the States. She ends up in Connecticut not happier, she starts recognizing, okay, maybe it's something to do with my drinking, so she ends up it sounds like voluntarily I couldn't find anything that suggested that it was not voluntary, um but she ends up going to a sanitarium, mm-hmm. which is like for people with chronic illnesses and so while she's there, um she like talks about how she still, even though she was in a sanitarium was finding ways to get drunk. So she was like, mm-hmm. okay, like there's gotta be, there's something out there. Right. So she ends up um, while she's there, her doctor gives her a book. Okay. okay. So now let's chat a little bit. What year is this by the way? This Should is we, 1939. Roughly? 39. Okay. Late thirties. Got it. Um, so her doctor gives her this book. That's called Alcoholics Anonymous. The story of how more than 100 men have recovered from alcoholism. So Hmm. 1935, Akron, Ohio. These guys, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, they're two alcoholics. And they're talking together about figuring out a solution to alcoholism and opening a dialogue about what causes alcoholism and how alcoholics can help each other not be alcoholics anymore.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So the two of them ended up founding AA um, and writing a book with other early members. And they, so it's their book. Um, they end up calling it just the big book. So it's still in circulation. You can still find it. It's kind of like the guidelines of AA basically. Right. Um, and so Marty ends up reading it and is like obsessed. Like it changes her entire outlook because she's never, she's never talked with other alcoholics about what she's feeling. She thought she was just alone in it. So right. she realizes that um, there are other people like her, that being an alcoholic is not some moral failing like she's been told, right. that it's a disease and that it should be treated as a disease. So um, she ends up writing a chapter for the big book called Women Suffer Too. And you can still read it. It's only eight pages. It's very short. There's free PDFs online all over the place. Nice. Um, she wrote in that chapter, quote, I wasn't mad or vicious. I was a sick person. I was suffering from an actual disease that had a name and symptoms like diabetes or cancer or TB. And the disease was respectable, not a moral stigma. Like, yeah. And like, yeah. what a what a big realization to be like, oh, Oh okay like there's a reason behind it it's not just because I'm a piece of shit like Right
1: it's got to feel so isolating to a feel alone and never talk yeah. to another alcoholic and b to have that moral and you know ethical failing or shame attached to it like good lord Yeah yeah
0: so um 1939 is the first time that Marty goes to a meeting it was um at that point AA was so new that there were only two like chapters. I guess you can call them chapters, but they were like in the same city. So there were only like two meeting places really is more okay. accurate. Like there were, it was so small. And so um, one of them was at Bill's house and one of them was at Bob's house. And so Marty goes to her first meeting attended at Bill's house. Bill ends up becoming her sponsor when she eventually joins AA Um it's, there's a lot of places that'll say that Marty was the first woman in AA, but it's that's not really true. She was the first woman to attain lasting sobriety through AA. Hmm. So the first woman to actually be in, LA, in AA is a lady only identified as Lil. Um, she ends up relapsing, though, and then got sober later outside of AA. Um, Florence R. was another early member. Um, she wrote the chapter A Feminine Victory in the big book. Marty, though, holds the distinction as being the first lesbian member of the organization. Nice. Which, like, to be openly lesbian in 1939, Who? Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, brutal. It's a lot of um, stigma
1: going straight at that lady's heart.
0: So much. And, like, it doesn't really face her at all, <laughs> like, which is crazy. Um, so, 1945, Marty starts the Yale School of Alcohol Studies Um, Now it's at Rutgers University. She also created the National Committee for Education on Alcoholism. In 1990, they changed the name to the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, or NCAD. Um, So her whole point and philosophy was that addiction is a disease rather than just you're a bad person, so stop doing it. And And so much of her focus was on how because it's a disease you can't just tell an alcoholic oh we'll just stop drinking and that'll fix it like that's not how it works you you need treatment and you need
1: help telling you to just like stop your migraine right right turn it off just stop
0: just stop doing that so i mean it's the same way it's the same thing with like with like anxiety or depression like oh well just Mm -hmm. don't be sad that's okay where did i think of that yeah oh okay is it that easy great cool so um She also believed that alcoholism could run in families. She was one of the early people to kind of be touting that because her dad died of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, So she comes up with three main tenets for her work. One being that alcoholism is a disease. Two being that people who are alcoholics are not bad people and that they deserve help. um, And three, which is like so it's so. I don't know, like. It seems like she was very ahead of her time because this is in the 40s in the number three thing that she thought about alcoholism was that it was a public health problem. And so that there should be public health programs to help alcoholics, which in the 1940s is a crazy stance to have taken. Like, that's awesome, though. I don't know. I feel like anybody advocating for like like public health programs in the 40s. Who that's that's an uphill battle. That you got there. Yeah, in yeah, in a big way. Um so nineteen forty-six, she funds a study on alcoholism where they took um uh like surveys from members of AA to kind of like gather more information about how it kind of works and what people are feeling about it. The nineteen fifties, Edward R Edward R. Murrow includes her on his list of the ten greatest living Americans, which like Ugh. who um so Marty ends up writing a chapter in the big book called women suffer too. Um, it's still in there, but it's not its own chapter anymore. It's under the chapter pioneers. So if you're like, cause I went looking for it and couldn't find it at first until I actually typed in the full, like her right. chapter name. Cause it's not just under pioneers. Um, so Marty also realized that her perspective was unique since she's, she, since she was an alcoholic. And so like so many addiction specialists today, she realized that being an addict was a key part of being a recovery advocate, you know, of being like, Hey, I can understand your perspective. So here's what helped me. It's not super helpful to hear from people who aren't struggling with that, you know? Um, so she said, quote, I have something to contribute to humanity since I'm peculiarly qualified as a fellow sufferer, to give aid and comfort to those who have stumbled and fallen over this business of meeting life. I get my greatest thrill of accomplishment from the knowledge that I've played a part in the new happiness achieved by countless others like myself. Oh Oh my God. Which is like, so, I don't know. She spent her entire, like, like mid thirties and under being just so unhappy and like moving around the world to try and figure out what made her happy. And then this is like the thing that, just love helping people. Uh, um, so in 1958, she publishes a book called The New Primer on Alcoholism. She helps found the High Watch Farm, which is the first recovery center based on AA's principles, which is pretty nice. cool. 1980, though, she, suffer- she suffered a stroke and died shortly after. So she mm-hmm. was 75. Um, today, though, the NCAT is still a leading advocacy group that helps raise awareness about the fact that addiction is a disease. It provides resources for recovery. Um, Unfortunately, like the AA website, if you, they've got like a search bar. If you type in Marty man, nothing comes up, which is a shame. Um, Yeah. I think, so I saw some stuff talking about how like when you're researching Alcoholics Anonymous, very little actually comes up about Marty man. And like in terms of, her impact, she doesn't really get referenced much. And apparently it's because her um, national committee for the education on alcoholism that she started was never officially tied to AA. So they kind of view it as like two separate things, even though, even though
1: it was AA. She's in the big book.
0: And she's like considered a founding member of AA because she was one of the like first kind of group to like, help write the big book and like help get members in and
1: that feels like a justification, not like, an yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Um, yeah. So it's kind of a shame that like, yeah, that sucks. I don't, and I don't know if, I don't know if like within AA people know who Marty is. Um, Hmm. but it's hard. I mean, it was very hard, like finding anything about her. It's really not very much there. There's a biography that you can read like a full book biography, which I would, I would love to read. Um, But I could only find the synopsis for it. <laughs> it was like, yeah, this lady. So not a ton.
1: That's. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that is. Man. That's so cool. I, recovery I mean, advocate as we talk about, over and over all of these women who are like the first woman to do, you know, whatever. And like, I would absolutely consider her one of the most influential people in America in that time, because how many other women were like, I, I I think about sometimes if I were a housewife in that time, you betcha, I would be having gin in the afternoon. Oh, like, oh man, all the time. There had to be so many women who also, Felt isolated and alone in that. Yeah. And so to have somebody be like, you know what? Here's my story. Man. That's really cool.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. here's what
1: helped. Yeah. Man. So
0: to source my shit real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, Wikipedia. There's a cute blog called friends of org. Um, but it's mostly the same stuff from Wikipedia, like whole sections, <laughs> just copy paste. Yeah. Which like, all right. Um, there's a video, it's not, it's a video, but it's just the audio of a, uh, 1946 AA meeting that Marty spoke at. So there's like, it's like an hour and 20 minute long audio of a 1946 speech that she gave. Yeah. Um, very, very cool. And then, um, her chapter in the big book, man. Yeah.
1: Good job, dude. And Wikipedia.
0: Wikipedia is where I got most of the stuff. But, sure. um Yeah, that's the story of Marty Mann.
1: Wow, very cool.
0: Yeah.
1: All right, well, well done. Sit Thank back, you. relax with your coffee. Yes. Um, as we know, I am talking about First Lady Betty Ford. Yeah, you are. And I knew some of this about her, but my dude, there was so much about her. I did not know. And she is easily one of just the coolest ladies of all time. I tried to cut this down. I really did, (laughs) (laughs) but there's so much information and there's so much of it that I was like, okay, one more little anecdote, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. So Betty Ford, first lady to president Gerald Ford. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh she was born Elizabeth Ann Bloomer in Chicago, Illinois, in April eighth. On oh, April eighth. To Chicago, ladies. I know. She's two. born nineteen eighteen, and fun fact, uh her family literally lived like a few blocks north of where I live. Oh. Like very, very close. Uh they moved to Denver shortly after she was born, and then they landed in Grand Rapids, Michigan by the time she was two. So she was actually like raised in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. They were a working class family, though they were financially comfortable. But her mother was related to a wealthy family who manufactured furniture. So she believed in the social graces and she thought they were hmm. very important. So when Betty was eight, she started studying ballet, tap, and modern dance, immediately fell in love with it. And by the time she was 14, she was teaching other kids. And when she was in high school, not only was she teaching adults, but she opened her own dance school while she was in high school. What? So she rented a wow. studio and called it the Betty Bloomer Dance School. How wow cool is that? Um, when she was 16, her father was working on the car in the garage. And though the garage door was open, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so her mother became the main provider for the family and her mother had always worked in like, a, um, she'd always like volunteered. Um, but she started working as a real estate agent and watching her mom step into that role at such a formative age, just solidified in Betty's mind, the importance of equal pay for women and women's equal rights, all of it. And She loved playing competitive sports that were mostly dominated by men like ice hockey and football. Oh, my God. I love her so much. Wow. Um, Okay, so after she graduated high school, she moved to Vermont and then later New York to study dance under Martha Graham. And she would pay for it by working as a model at department stores. And then later she worked as a salesperson and model as a department store. So I feel like they're like living mannequins. You know what I mean? They're like walking around wearing the clothes, advertising. You know, what? that's
0: so weird. And that- I do know what you mean, but yeah. Wow. I didn't look it up,
1: but that's what it feels like. To that's, that's what I'm just going to choose to believe. Yeah. Um. She found some success as a dancer, but her mom never really wanted that to be her entire life. And so she was like, come back to Grand Rapids for a time. If you still want to move to New York after that. I won't argue. You can do whatever you want. And she was like, you know, I would love to be like the greatest dancer in the world, but I'm not that. So she went back to new to Grand Rapids and then she never ended up going back to New York. She stayed there. Um, so 1941, she's back in Grand Rapids working at a department store and she's getting promoted regularly. So she eventually became their fashion coordinator, but she's still, teaching in her free time teaching dance. She started a weekly class for the black children of Grand Rapids and she learned basic sign language. So she could start teaching hearing impaired students and she's teaching blind students and just like 1941. Wow. Yeah. She's like, hi everyone who is underprivileged, please let me. When are people let's treat them like people. Yeah. Crazy. Right. In 1942, she married her childhood friend named William Warren, who worked as a traveling salesman, and they bounced around from place to place. And she always seemed to find work where they were, but she never really liked that lifestyle. She wanted stability. She wanted a home and children. And within three years, she knew the marriage wasn't going to last, and she wanted a divorce. But William was an alcoholic and had diabetes, I believe, and he became extremely ill. So she kind of tabled the divorce conversation until uh, like, helped care for him. And once he was well again, then they officially split. So then in 1947, she met a U.S. Navy Lieutenant and lawyer named Gerald Ford. So they date for a year and then he proposes, but, and she's like, <laughs> there was an interview where she was like, I immediately said yes. He was never <laughs> one to say like, I love you or anything like that. So as soon as he proposed, I snatched it up. It was great. Um, but he was nervous about the wedding date because he was currently running for congress and he thought that his potential republican voters would think less about him because he was marrying a divorced ex-dancer so like also what if he had been previously married just you know it sure wouldn't have been an issue wouldn't have been a thing yeah so literally 2 weeks before the election they got married he did end up winning this brings our girl Betty into politics. Mm -hmm. They had four children together. Gerald served 13 years in Congress and Betty completely devoted herself to being a mother and a politician's wife. And so she's like learning everything she can about the different positions and leader heads, all the processes in Washington processes, process, process. I, process. I, -i. -i. Mm -hmm. (laughs) process. She knows all about them. She would know. She knows all the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's like attending hearings. And then whenever Gerald's constituents came to DC, she would work as their tour guide. Um, And he was really eager to become speaker of the house. So he took on all these extra duties that had him traveling around the U.S. for a huge chunk of the year. So she's solo parent to their four kids most of the year. Yeah, She's volunteering all these places. She's serving on boards, you know, classic politician's wife. And she's modeling part time, like, Betty is C. Yeah. So then Gerald ran as vice president under Richard Nixon. Surprise, surprise, they won. But Nixon ended up resigning under the pressure of the Watergate scandal, which made Gerald Ford the 38th president of the United States, and Betty was his first lady. Um, I guess I didn't realize that that's how
0: he became president.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So wow. he, he was president for like something like 800 days. Like it was a very short presidency and most of it was spent trying to like bring, um, esteem, I guess, back to the office of the presidency and trying to be like, no, 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 no right. like, really, you know, right. Sounds familiar. Um, just, you know, <laughs> so as far as first ladies go, she's one of my top favorites. Absolutely. Um, in a 1987 interview, she mentioned not only her mother and Martha Graham as her strongest role models, but also Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said that she had the right to express opinions independent of the president. And that made her, she she thought it was healthy to do that. Mm -hmm. So she's like, all right, I'm going to do what I want. So she would dance to disco music in the white house And she had a CB radio that she would answer questions and just talk on the CB radio under the name first mama. And so she's openly talking about divorce, abortion. She was pro choice, equal rights for women, equal pay for women, marijuana, premarital sex. She's talking about how she shares a bed with the president in the white house. And she was like, yeah, people ask me everything except how often the president and I had sex. But even if they had asked, I would have told them as much as possible. (laughs) I wow. love her. <laughs> so this did not sit great with some in the Republican Party. And they called for I'm resign. Shocked. I'm shocked. Isn't resign from the first lady. How? Do, yeah. How does, how, how does that? How do you do? How do you do? do? You have to get a divorce because then wouldn't that go again? How do you. Hmm. Movie?
0: Is it just like, is it just like, oh, I'm going to move out of the
1: White House. Right. I don't like, know how what that works. So they mm. would call her no lady. Mm-mm. Oh. Um, but overall be like, oh my god, thanks. I know, right? <laughs> oh my god, thank you. She's like, shoot. <laughs> mm. Um, I mean, honestly, it did, her overall approval rating was 75%. Like, yeah, what, you know, what are they gonna do? Um she was in an interview. I'm pretty with, sure a
0: bird just flew into my window. <laughs> I think that might be what just happened, or like came real close to hmm
1: weird anyway i hope he's all right um so in an interview with barbara walter she's talking about how she supports roe v wade and her previous divorce drama and they so somebody asked her like years later and they found out that she'd been divorced and they were like why did you keep it a secret and she was like nobody asked
0: like it wasn't
1: It wasn't this big secret. Just nobody asked. And so the way that she and also like, like, who cares? Right. The way that she just flippantly was like, we weren't trying to keep anything from anybody. Literally. No one asked me about my previous life. <laughs> it made her approval rating go higher. Like everybody was like, I love yeah. her. I love her. Yeah. Um, she w- was, you know, critical of the Nixon administration. And she thought that they should be in full support of Martin Luther King Jr. The advisors thought differently. So when Martin Martin Luther King Jr.'s mom was murdered, Mm -hmm. Betty took it upon herself to schedule her own trip to be present at the funeral. And she was like, I'll represent the administration. This is like we need to do something. She was just great. Wow. Um, As soon as they're in the White House, she starts making changes when the Nixons were like, so she talks about how they would greet the staff and nobody would respond. And she was like, why is no one answering us? when we do this. So she asked someone and they were like, Oh, well the Nixons required their staff to be silent and invisible. Ew. And she was like, gross. We're changing that immediately. And so then they like slowly got warmer and warmer. And so then, you know, butler's like disco
0: every day. All, all the time. time. (laughs) Yeah. Pipe it through the speakers. Like nothing but disco.
1: And so then it would just like, they relaxed enough that, you know, staff would discuss their, golf scores with the president over dinner. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. They were they were people. So weird. And she treated them like people. So weird. Isn't that wild? So one crazy. Of my, one of my favorite details is that there was a decorative bowl or something in the yellow oval room and it was held by these two Greek goddesses with their hands out and every time she went in there she would put a cigarette between the fingers of one of the Greek <laughs> goddesses. Just, you know, Wow. Got, to do what you got to do. So, not long after becoming first lady, Betty was diagnosed with breast cancer. And at the time, it was a very taboo topic. Nobody talked about cancerous boobs
0: because because
1: boobs probably. Oh my um, god. But oh my god. Course, <laughs> Betty was like this is bogus. Um and especially following the secrecy that surrounded the Nixon administration. She was like, we are going to be completely open about everything. So she was totally public and open about her diagnosis, her mastectomy, the whole journey. And when she was asked if she felt sorry for herself about losing her breast, she said, quote, no. Oh no. Heavens. No. I've heard women say they'd rather lose their right arm. And I can't imagine. It's so stupid. I can even wear my evening clothes. <laughs> uh. So good. So then other prominent women start coming forward, sharing their struggles with breast cancer and it became more of an open topic. So then women around the country started doing more home exams and then, you know, going to see the doctor whenever they found something. So it caused this huge bump in early breast cancer diagnosis and all the stuff that they normally wouldn't have found. And they called it the Betty Ford blip. Oh my God oh my god wow so then, time magazine because of this because of the breast cancer everything named her woman of the year in 1975 wow amazing so gerald ford ran against jimmy carter for his second term and betty started campaigning for him so they're the republicans jimmy carter is the democrat right Mm -hmm. and she was a she was seen as a moderate Republican at the time, and the conservative Republican Party was kind of emerging around here. But she seemed more liberal than Jimmy Carter's wife. So the campaign staff was having her make appearances and give speeches in all the liberal areas, and her approval ratings were higher than her husband's. And so a lot of the campaign buttons said, vote for Betty's husband. like she That's was, so gross. Like, just vote for Betty. Right. Just vote for Betty. Just vote for Betty. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work, and Jimmy Carter won. But I don't know if it's unfortunately, but for them, unfortunately yeah. for them, unfortunately for them, yeah. Right. Um, but her husband had developed laryngitis while they were campaigning and lost his voice, so she actually delivered his concession speech after oh. they found out. Yeah, she's just everything. So since the '60s, when he was doing all of his like Speaker of the House extra work, and she's running around like a crazy person. She had a pinched nerve in her neck that she had been taking opioids for. And so when they were in the white house, her use decreased, but as soon as they left DC, her dependency on drugs and alcohol very much went up. Yeah. And she had sought some therapy in the mid sixties and it helped a little bit, but she considered her alcohol intake normal because they were constantly surrounded by, you know, cocktail parties and meet and greets, and they were expected to be at all of them. And, you know, yeah. Um. So in 1978, her that was fam- very much, sorry, not to,
0: that was very much something that Marty talks about in her chapter too. is like, it's like, oh, well, I thought that if I stopped drinking, I suddenly wasn't going to be able to be part of society because right. teetotalers aren't really like you you go out to bars and you go hang out with friends and you go to these galas and you go to these dinners. Like it's so much a part of just like everything that she was like, I'm worried that I won't be able to be part of society because if I am not drinking. So yeah, very much the same.
1: It's a, it's really interesting how interwoven alcohol is in the culture of America, Mm -hmm. especially in like, like, Chicago, for example, there's some stuff to do that's not alcohol-related, but almost everybody is like, where are we going to go get a drink? Right. You know? Yep. And that's just, like, what everybody does. Um, yeah, so she saw it as normal, and she was like, I'm fine, which she had to have been very high-functioning yeah. during that time because she's, you know, on all of these boards and – going to meetings and she's taking care of her four kids yeah like while she was in denial about her dependency and addiction she was so active like it makes me wonder how many politicians and their families have similar struggles because that pressure has to be
0: probably a lot of them probably a lot of them not only from the pressure but also like you kind of have to be high functioning at Mm -hmm. that level you know because otherwise
1: There is the stigma of like, oh, Mm -hmm. you're an alcoholic. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And there's so many balls in the air. Right. You have to. It's just it's crazy. So 1978, her family staged an intervention for her. And initially she was pissed and said that it was an intrusion over life. She called them monsters. But then she realized that alcoholism was something her father, her first husband and one of her brothers had all suffered from. So she was kind of able to be like, okay, maybe I do need to handle this. Mm-hmm. So she underwent a monitor detox and then checked herself into rehab and started attending therapy. And as was Betty's way, as soon as she was out of rehab and back in the public eye, she was completely open and honest about everything going on. And Talking about going to therapy, That's which is the best. huge. Yeah. Like when her husband was sworn in, they had to testify about how she was in therapy. And he came to two of her therapy sessions and he had to testify that he was not there for himself. He was there as her spouse support. Because if he had been there for himself, he would not be able to serve. That's so sad, too, because it's like that upsetting. Like,
0: it, you would, I mean, I would want a president that is able and willing to take mental health into his own hands, Mm -hmm. into their own hands. Excuse me. I used his
1: as, like, we're talking about Gerald Ford, but, like, into whoever's own hands. But to be able to admit that you have biases or any sort of issue and work head on to fix those. Right. That's such a stronger person. Anyway. Yep. And to be able to like bounce
0: things off of a therapist, you know? Right. And like, I get that like, it'll probably be a scooch different for presidents because like it has to national be twice, security right. and
1: right. shit right. like that. But and that therapist would have to be vetted, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Completely. But anyway. So rehab was hugely impactful for her, not only to get and remain clean but she realized that there were no facilities for women who struggled with drugs and alcohol and there was no help for their families or kids so she established the betty ford center which did both and Mm -hmm. through her work with the center she started to connect that drug addiction was very 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 related to those that suffered from hiv and aids And so she became super outspoken about her support for LGBTQ rights in the workplace and advocated for same sex marriage. Wow. Right. So Betty was very open with her insecurities that led to her reliance on drugs and alcohol. And so she would talk about how sometimes she was so proud to be Gerald's wife. And then sometimes it felt like the more important he was, the less important she was. It must be so hard to be married to the president. Or a vice president or like. I cannot imagine. And your spouse is considered, you know, one of the most important human beings in the world, but also equality in marriage. Like, how do you how do you write? Yeah.
0: Like, how do you especially like there's there's no blueprint for how that works. It's not like the Obama's could talk to his parents and be like, how did you guys make it work? Like with the exception of like the Bushes or like the Clintons, right. you right. know, like there's not, you can't really ask somebody how did how did you make this work? You just kind of right. have to figure it out. And like, and then you would think that therapy would be a great resource there, but that's mm-hmm. also s- Don't pretty, that.
1: yeah.
0: pretty frowned on. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be one of the hardest rough Situations. Rough. no wonder you see those photos of presidents that have like in four years like look like they're completely they've gone aged right? 50 years like yeah. no wonder I it must just be the worst Plus, i don't all know all the stuff that we don't even know about about okay. you know right. i honestly have no idea why anybody would ever want to be a
1: politician why would you want to why would you want that i don't know why would you want that anyway anyway um so yes yeah, she felt insecure about that and then she also felt Embarrassed because she didn't have a college degree, which she's clearly brilliant and like does not. have accomplished it. so much without yeah. it. it's fine. But I can imagine that being around all of those people who are Ivy League, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But also, I would love to do probably a decent amount of imposter syndrome too. Of like decent, yes, decent amount. Um, I would love if we as a country can move away from the idea that you have to have a degree. Yeah, because you don't. Right. And it's getting a lot of people in debt. Yeah. Um, so she wrote, quote, it's hard to make anyone understand what it's like to have your name on something to be given credit for things you haven't done. I've been at meetings where someone turned and thanked me and I hugged the person. I said, don't thank me. Thank yourself. You're the one who did it with God's help. From the beginning, we have wanted every patient at the center to feel I'm important here. I have some dignity. What a babe. What a babe. Um, In 1987, she published a book about her treatment entitled Betty, A Glad Awakening. In 1991, she was awarded the Presidential Medal Medal of Freedom and then a Congressional Gold Medal in 1999. In 2003, she produced another book called Healing and Hope, Six Women from the Betty Ford Center Share Their Powerful Journeys of Addiction and Recovery. Oh, which I really want to read, read that. Yeah. yeah. Um, after 58 years, That of reminds marriage, me a lot of,
0: where was it? That was it? The Ruth Ellis center that did that, where it was like a, a book of like stories from, I think so. Yeah.
1: Stayed there. I think that was the Ruth Ellis center. I
0: think so. Anyway.
1: Sure. Um, so after 58 years of marriage, Gerald died the day after Christmas in 2006, he was 93 years old. Wow. She stayed. How many years? Marriage? 58.
0: So many years of marriage.
1: So many years.
0: That's so long. How do you, I I can't even really wrap my head around like, yeah, even knowing
1: somebody for that long, let alone like, well, I mean, to be fair, we're half that old, just in general, as people, you know, right? Yeah, anyway, wow, 58 years. That's so long. Yeah. Um, once he passed away, she stayed out of the public eye, but she continued to work as an active chair for the Betty Ford Center. She underwent various procedures for, she had some blood clots in her legs and then she had a quadruple bypass through various years, not all at once. Um, and she recovered from all of them, but they all obviously took a toll on her health and it just kind of steadily declined. So, July 8th, 2011, Betty Ford died of natural causes and was buried next to her husband on what would have been his 98th birthday a few days later.
0: Wow. Oh my god. Yeah.
1: I wanted to finish off by reading this little blip about the what the Betty Ford Foundation is now. Great. I love it's this. So cool. Yeah. So the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation is a force of healing and hope for individuals, families, and communities affected by addiction to alcohol and other drugs. As the nation's leading nonprofit provider of comprehensive inpatient and outpatient treatment for adults and youth, the foundation has 17 locations nationwide and collaborates with an expansive network through healthcare. With a legacy that began in 1949 and includes the 1982 founding of the Betty Ford Center, the foundation today also encompasses a graduate school of addiction studies, a publishing division, an addiction research center, recovery advocacy and thought leadership, professional and medical education programs, school-based prevention resources, and a specialized program for children who grow up in families with addiction. Wow, how cool is that? That's that's yeah, so that's many big time cool. very helpful things. Yeah. Anyway, so that is the life and legacy of First Lady Betty Ford. Wow. Great work. Thanks, man. It was honestly
0: she's, I cut out she's so kind of much. a bear of a lady to <laughs> yeah, to tackle, but you did a great job.
1: Thanks. She's yeah so cool. Um honestly I only used a few sources because they were so in depth. But yes, yeah. uh, biography.com, Wikipedia, this beautiful article in the New York Times by Anid Nemi. I love um, the name Enid. Uh, the org website and mm-hmm. this website firstladies.org. That is the deepest dive of any article. I mean,
0: I used them for Mary Todd, and I was like blown away. I mean, yeah, like yeah.
1: I could have told you about her parents, grandparents. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. firstladies.org is not messing around. And that's, that's great, Betty Ford.
0: Oh my god. Wait, but that means that firstladies.org is gonna have to change their name now.
1: <gasps> Firstpeople.org. Firstpeople.org. Oh my god. hmm I love that news. That's great. Mm-hmm. I know. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna take a take a deep breath. This is a fun one. Yeah. Sweet rice tea. Oh I know. Um Who's your who's your babe this week? Oh man, um
0: my babe this week. Without a doubt, hands down, I'm hoping that it sends I'm hoping that my that her being my babe of the week sends like like winning vibes. It has to be Ali Zirkle, because tomorrow Oof. the Iditarod starts big time excited about it. Um, Ali. Fun fact, we'll be covering Ally Zirkle very soon. So if you don't know who she is. Stay tuned. Um, Spoiler alert. Um she's hands down my favorite musher and this is her last Iditarod. She's no. retiring after this. No. So this is the last chance she's never won. She's never won. She was supposed to win a few years ago and then some drunk asshole on a snow machine ran over her dog team um and she lost. I mean she didn't lose. She came in like right. sixth or something which is still like remarkable but, first or last um, um yeah so this is the last chance um it's a weird iditarod too they're not going to Nome. yeah they're, they're doing back yeah they're going they're starting at deshka landing and then ending it at, at the town of iditarod
1: and coming back um i wonder if that means they're going to pass each other you know i, I mean? don't know or if know. it's like if the trail varies i think it goes enough. like yeah i think it's like a loop it's not that like it a is. straight because that would be I don't know, very though. disheartening. If <laughs> that would be a you're like, I'm halfway to the halfway point, and somebody's like on the way back.
0: <laughs> Hello, yes, hi, yeah. Um, but like they've had to change like where all of their spots are. So like, uh, normally, in our episode about Libby Riddles, we were talking about the like mandatory eight-hour mm-hmm. stop that they have to take, and that's normally in White Mountain, I think, and now it's going to be in Squintna, which is like way further south. It's just, it's, it's very, very weird. weird. It's very weird, it bums me out honestly that this is her last I did a rod because yeah. it's yeah. different i mean it's still it still is the same you know right. it's still the same terrain more or less, it's right. the same distance, it's just not it's just different the I did a rod um yeah. but yeah, so she's my babe of the week. I'm hoping that 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 energy powers her, and she just gets her dogs and they just go and they just win and. Yes. Oh man, yeah, yeah, it'll be big time exciting if Allie Circle wins. I've got my tweet notifications on for the Iditarod Twitter page so that I'm getting like daily updates. Evan like kind of cares, but like not very much. Yeah. So I, to... I don't,
1: I don't think I would care as much if it wasn't her last year. I had but... the app a couple years ago for a few years that like tracked them. Yeah. Um, but it didn't send updates, and so it was just like me mm. constantly. I wonder you know, if. Yeah, I wonder if
0: that app will still work this year.
1: I don't know. I think the Twitter one will be a better way of.
0: Keeping yeah, it it's the ADN one. Yeah, so if anybody wants to follow along to uh, the Iditarod, there's the Iditarod actual like like verified Twitter account, and then there's ADN Iditarod is how it's is their at. Um,
1: and yeah. Cool. Go, Allie Zirkle. Go, Allie Zirkle, and this your is dogs. your year. This is your year. I believe in you, babe. Hmm. <sighs> Who's yours? Um, mine this week is I started a new class, so it's my new teacher. Um, she's so funny. <laughs> she's just like she's had this beautiful, wonderful career in acting both in LA and Chicago, and she's like a mom and she's really funny, and she's like the most confident actor human being I've ever seen in my life. And I just feel really, really lucky that I get to learn from her in a really, like, and and get to know her in this, yeah. like, pretty, I mean, it's over Zoom, but, like, there's only 10 students. So, like, a pretty intimate setting. Yeah. Um. And she just, like, super inspired me this week to, like, get off my ass and start doing stuff. And That's great. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I love her. Oh, her name is Serafina Vecchio, if anybody is in Chicago and needs Like classes, coaching one-on-one or classes or monologue training or whatever. She's very, very cool. That's great. Yeah. Good one. Thanks, man. She's pretty dope. Also, I just wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to Recover Alaska because this was a really cool thing. 100%. Like, I'm really glad that they reached out to us about this because this was really fun. Oh, also, happy Women's Month. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. All and right. I love, I love you. Oh wait, did we do like an ending of our podcast, or just we just trail off into talking about other things? Oh.
0: Oh, we, we just, just kind of just trailed off into just, like it just fades out. Different. It just fades out to our <laughs> ending <laughs> music. We should <just> never actually. <laughs> and also chocolate. And also more things. I you'll find a. You'll find a spot. It'll be great. I think we said goodbye, but if not.
1: Bye, bitch. (laughs) Bye, bitch. Stay bitching, Taylor. Oh my God. I will not. Funniest verb. I I will not. On that. Oh, also, I am definitely. We will eventually stop talking.
0: It's literally just gonna be. It's just gonna be us just just eventually trailing off. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You may leave. Mm -hmm. leave now. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>